0: more than 20,000 people in the state that are on DACA, that are working, that are paying taxes, and, and that economy input is, is going to be lost immediately.
1: Welcome to the 21st episode of On the Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. It's a place where you can come to meet the creatives and newsmakers taking the Phoenix area to the next level. My name's Philip Haldeman and I'll be your host. Now this is our second installment dedicated to the issue of immigration in Arizona. More specifically DACA or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Now, in our last episode, we featured Karina Ruiz. She's president of the Arizona Dream Act Coalition. She's also a DACA recipient. And if you've never spoken to anyone uh, living under those circumstances, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to our last episode. She's got an amazing story. But this episode, we're going to take it on a slightly different course. We have Patrick Morales on the show. He is a U.S. citizen, but he's equally involved with the movement to bring a solution to the DACA issue. He is also a Tempe Elementary School governing board member and running for uh, re-election. But he's also an activist for immigrant rights, and that can be a really difficult line to toe, being a politician and being an activist. So um, we are really, really grateful to have Patrick on the show. Patrick, thank you for coming on. Uh, Thanks for inviting me. So you grew up in California. I, I want to talk about all the stuff you've been involved with, but let's kind of start at the beginning in a way. Like, tell us a little bit about your, your experiences growing up.
0: Okay. So I think the important thing, seeing it now as someone who lives in Arizona kind of full-time for the last few years, it, w- it was very different. I, where I grew up, it, it was a school that was 80%, 90% Latino. My mom immigrated uh, here to America kind of um, by chance. Uh, basically, my grandma sent her after um, her sister, uh, my aunt. Um, so my mom, my mom kind of came here by chance, and then she liked the place. Uh, she stayed and and started working kind of as as a housekeeper. And then and was she legal? Um, no. Okay. No, at the time she was, she was undocumented until, uh, kind of the Reagan amnesty okay. stuff happened. Um, I like to bring that up to Republicans a lot. Um, so, and, and the other part, cause it, it informs kind of my perspective and where my family's been on it. Um, my dad at the same time around, this is 84 to 86 around there. Um, my dad's in Mexico city. He's a taxi driver. He gets basically um, stopped and and they steal his taxi and so he ends up just standing there on the street and he had an uncle that was coming to Tijuana at the time and he rode up basically because he had nothing to do. He just lost his taxi and his job. And then kind of the same thing. My dad came to LA kind of because he had nothing, you know, better to do at the time. And he, at the time, had an interesting perspective because he just came from Mexico City. So so he had a different perspective. As soon as he got to LA, he's like, oh, this is America. Okay. Um... (laughs) stayed here for a little bit went back to Mexico and then returned just because he knew that there was still a chance for a better life
1: and this was back in the days when it was it was much easier to get
0: across the border right I mean not like today right yeah yeah definitely yeah uh, I think my mom uh, crossed twice right yeah <laughs> and she's exactly. open about that yeah but uh but yeah so both of them basically met in an English class hmm? I remember the way they told me the stories that my my dad asked her out on a Friday and she finally said yes on the m- Monday after. Um, and now it's funny that my mom teaches English. She's an mm. ELD and English teacher in high school. Um, so somewhere in the middle of kind of my life, she she started going to school and, and now she's finishing up her PhD. So that's kind of a big focus in the family.
1: So in a way, your mom at least could have been a DACA recipient. I mean, she's a little bit older to be one, but... No, definitely. I,
0: I think she, she would um, qualify for sure.
1: So then you have an interesting perspective in that you kind of get this perspective of being illegal, I guess.
0: Yeah, because I think when I was um, two to four around that area is kind of when we were doing um, the request to have my grandma come over and and the rest of our family was going kind of through immigration procedures. And that really didn't end until like 96, 98 Um, so, so that's always been a big part, but at the whole, at the same time, kind of most of our community was always very Latino focused. I grew up in bilingual education, California. Um, there's not a lot of programs at all all here Mm. kind of on that. So, um, in California at the time it was till second grade. And then years later I took my SAT and got like a near perfect score because we spoke it at home. Wow. And now my sister's at a, K through eight school bilingual, and she's in sixth grade, so she'll be way beyond what I what I know, kind of thing.
1: What brought you out to Arizona? Uh,
0: so I moved out here for ASU to go to college. The, yeah, and mm-hmm. and I think it's it's funny how inter- intersectional issues are. I think that's why I did policy and kind of what I what I do. Um, I came here to do alternative energy and solar, mm-hmm. and then I learned how the corporate commission worked and uh, kind of the market. Um, it's the best state for solar on paper, but not in policy. So. At the same time, I started getting involved interning uh, for an organization called the Arizona Student Association. So kind of a campus advocacy, higher ed advocacy. But the thing is that on campus, any issue is a higher ed issue. So whether it's veterans rights, um, sexual assault rights, uh, women's rights, uh, and especially uh, DACA Dreamer uh, uh, kind of rights. Uh, so that's kind of when I started uh, getting into student organizing and that aspect from probably 2011 to. 2015 2014
1: and that was your gateway into politics i imagine right
0: yeah yeah so actually i was at the capitol i think um lobbying advocating for i think uh, a decrease in tuition at the time and my current state representatives uh representative mendez and representative sherwood now senator mendez um they asked me uh how old i was and they were asked me if i'm interested in running for office one day and now i know maybe it was a casual conversation maybe they were Thinking one day, and I had always thought maybe at like 35, 36, because I see it as the best way to create change as an individual. But obviously, I believe in community organizing as, as the, the community model. So then I, I went home, I looked it up, and I started researching. Um, and then I, I ran for office. Um, you ran for? Um... For the uh, Temple Elementary School Board. Okay. So at the time, I was 20 years old. Wow. <laughs> I turned uh, 21. Wow. And then three weeks later, I was in office. Wow. So that was definitely a dynamic because I think uh, in Tempe, I was new to the town. Um, there was a class dynamic, there was an age dynamic, and a race dynamic. But interestingly enough, the age was a very important um, dynamic, I think, because everyone that I'm addressing and kind of in administration has masters and PhDs. Right, cetera, yeah. And I'm 20 years old. <laughs> um, so, did
1: that affect you? I mean, you got elected, but did that affect you negatively or I, your age positively?
0: No, no, I think uh, there was like kind of a coming to Jesus moment. I call Mm -hmm. it uh, in the beginning of October that I remember because I sat down and and we weren't sure how we were going to do still in the race because, because at the time I I wasn't really like someone who consults on campaigns. Uh, I just came from the student movement and all we knew was knock a lot of doors, talk to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think we spent less than, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars or just for flyers and things like that. So we sat in my living room and we did a SWOT analysis, so kind of to analyze what are the chances that I actually get elected? And I think one of the, the hardest parts was realizing what are my negatives. And one of the negatives was that my age, obviously, and, and that I was Latino. Um, but I always tell people that I am and talk to that are coming from community or, or just joining politics um, when, when they're running for office. Are you running as a politician or are you running as, as a radical to challenge the status quo? which is how I define radical. So on my campaign signs, for example, I didn't use Patrick Morales. I used Morales. And I used blue, because most people in Tempe use an independent color. And I didn't want to use kind of like a biracial marketing angle. Because to me, I was like, it's a, it's, a, it's a long shot in the dark, you know, if, for me to actually win. But I was thinking, if a kid in Guadalupe sees my sign, gets motivated, hmm. becomes president, changes the world, then I did my job. So that was kind of the, the branding aspect. But the age aspect... Um, So I I knew my opponents were going to go to bed at 8 or 9 or stop knocking doors. So we did um, from 4 to 8. From 8 to 9 we dropped literature with one legislative district and nine to 10, a different one, 10 to midnight with close friends and then midnight to like one, I was just going indoors, oh, doors, wow. dropping my lid. And I remember every now and then someone would open the door <laughs> and, yeah, I and I would have to speak in like third person. I'm like, hi, I'm here volunteering for Patrick Morales because you don't want to be the candidate at someone's door at 1am. That might be a little odd. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was kind of, I don't know if I'm in, in the same shape to do that, but <laughs> but I'm going to try to do that. Um, cause I'm up for reelection this year. So that was kind of, uh, the analysis after that night.
1: So you did get elected and you're pretty much campaigning for your second term at this moment, right?
0: Yeah. So we haven't really uh, kicked stuff off. Uh, we're going to start probably in, in about a month, month and a half because um, school board races are, are not as big as like some things. Sure. Yeah. You know, so I, I think we're okay if we, if we start a little later, but uh, it's also tricky because I'm, I'm I'm on the left. So our right. people don't have a lot of money <laughs> um, and, and I feel strongly about not taking corporate donations and things like that. I've publicly said no. No charters, no APS, no SRP, no nothing like that. Uh, Yeah.
1: But in terms of your heritage, when you took office, what did you see? uh, And put this in the frame of the DACA issue. Mm -hmm. What did you see when you started looking at the Tempe Unified School District in in those terms?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, for lack of a better word, the, the fear of the unknown kind of thing uh, where I've talked a lot um, with folks my age and, and younger and a little bit older uh, when it started of, of your graduating high school often with a, with a great GPA, you did all these extracurriculars, and then you go to your counselor. And, I, and I've heard this story verbatim from folks where they go to their counselor and, and ask, you know, how do I get into college? And the simple version is, is Google FAFSA, fill it out, apply, and that's it. But there's no FAFSA for for DACA folks there's no there's no possibility to get that and and it's
1: because you need a social security number exactly etc yeah. right
0: and, and only recently there's there's one organization that I can think of there might be two in the state but one that I can think of it's uh, AZ scholarships in out of Tucson but they serve the state and their whole purpose is to look up scholarships that serve dreamers but how many, how many dreamers and how many people that would become dreamers that are in high school or younger right now right. know that? Right. Um, now,
1: you should, since you brought that up, we should actually distinguish between dreamer and, and DACA. So explain that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's an important part because I think at the very beginning of the dream movement, um, there was a few actions that were crucial. I think the one I remember, there was an action on the border uh, where I think it was seven folks that were uh, basically um, self-deporting and then um, making a big kind of uh, statement about dreamers and how dreamers were in school, etc. And so that was the narrative for a long time. And
1: that was a, quite, a, when was that? Roughly? Uh,
0: that was probably uh, before 2010, probably okay. 2007, 2008. Okay. Um, but the big difference is that now we want to we wanna expand the narrative to, to just talk about DACA folks or DACAmented folks. Because
1: and why do you, you want to expand that? that
0: because um, a lot of people qualify for DACA. Right. Because they've come here at a young age, went to school, work, but they're not necessarily in university, and and I think and that was
1: that was the, that was the uh, yeah, connection so, there with the dreamers. And
0: I think last time I checked, there was less than three hundred dreamers per se at okay. uh, ASU. Okay. Um, so in the state, probably less. than So 600. you're saying
1: that that terminology dreamers is shouldn't be used anymore, probably,
0: right? Right. Yeah, so in in policy definitely um but it still I think has worth in terms of branding and, and messaging. Um, but there's confusion there. There there is level. confusion because yeah. the DACA conversation include is is the uh, 800,000 number you ca- you yes. hear about. Yes. So in Arizona I believe last it was 25,000, 30,000 somewhere in there that are on In DACA. Arizona how much? Uh between 25 and 30,000. Okay. So, so those take are that
1: into your neck of the woods. What does that look like in the school systems? Like like if If the deadline just ended, like, on March 3rd, Mm -hmm. what would that look like if all those kids were deported or, you know, just trying—I'm trying to get a sense of, like, what the fallout of
0: Uh, DACA could be. And I think— I think in arizona we we like to talk about how we should lead now that we're in a in a Trump era because we've been dealing with it for a while since since two thousand six and and ten seventy um kind of in this state. so I think the fallout would be very similar because I think Arizona got hit with uh, two different issues um the the housing market crash and then uh the the ten seventy uh bill that was written by Russell Pierce because, uh, yes, there was community pushback and he was recalled and, and it was all great. But, but at the same time, thousands of people left the state and, and our schools got empty. And and to be practical and pragmatic about it and honest about it, um, there is the conversation of a, of a per diem per per school and our, our schools are already very defunded. so. If I'm a Latino family living in Guadalupe in in Tempe Elementary School District, and um, I'm fearing deportation, I move to California or or to Mexico even or, or any other place, then then that's completely justified. But at the same time, the community and the school district are, are losing revenue and and income, right. and so it's because
1: sc- schools get revenue based on enrollment. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um. And and that's why it's so connected to everything else because you look at something like ASU as ASU and I, I like I'll say this to anyone um, likes to pay a lot of uh, lip service I think to to dreamers and and they put very bland and open-ended statements out there because if you're s- Supposedly um, this is what they've done is they're finding scholarships and grants for those less than 300 dreamers on their campus mm-hmm. um, But at the same time Those scholarships are then paid back to the university and if if there's a path to citizenship and you u- just use that as a PR tool there's there's people spending thousands of dollars back, so and and we have to remember that most of ASU is is middle income, the the students. So that means you're not poor enough to receive scholarship and you're not rich enough to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So all of that is loan based. So and that's how it's connected to everything else. Because I re- I remember when um dreamers got in state tuition here in Arizona. uh since I had just moved from California, I was still out of state. So that was an interesting kind of dynamic. But all of it kind of connected to how the university works. You have said that immigration
1: is your most important issue if you had your druthers i mean if you everybody talks about comprehensive immigration reform and all that stuff but is that what you would like to see or are you looking for something different
0: yes and and no because i think it's never been defined Mm. uh, properly Uh, i like to tell a story of uh O'Malley, uh, presidential candidate O'Malley, who most people don't remember. He got about 1% of the vote. Um, Got me, yeah. But I remember he he went and and gave a talk at Puente, a local community organization that that works on immigration rights and um, criminal justice reform. So he was there talking, and I think he had just gotten interrupted earlier that day by Black Lives Matter. And so had Bernie Sanders and Hillary wasn't present. So this was um, in the last
1: presidential Yeah, election. this was okay. in the last.
0: So we were all Question. kind of giving him the eyes and waiting for what immigration reform meant to him. And and he's the only person I've ever seen, so I'll give him credit for that. He pulled out a packet of of policies, just of everything he wanted to do. And we were all like, oh, that's, that's the first time we've seen that. Um, so I think there's a lot of, of reforms happening from, from center right to the left. Um, so the the immediate thing is to define what immigration reform is, what are specific policies. I think um, w- one of the conservative and moderate quick fixes that we've been looking at, an organization called Forward.us, and that's uh, the one I think uh, Zuckerberg started through Facebook, um, is to pass basically visa reform and and visas for folks that want to work. Because right now they're capped and there's a lottery system. And we're basically... um,
1: And that was something that Trump Trump recently referenced, I believe, right? Yes. And
0: I I believe... Last time, because he changes his mind often, right? Um, he either says that he wants to shrink it because we need less immigrants, right? Or, or he wants to expand it because he doesn't want to do the other kinds of reforms. Um, so here in the state, I know it's it's been myself. Uh, I think Chanel Poe on on another school district, Balt School District, and Kate Gallego on the City Council, uh, kind of were the only three elected in there uh, that day, just kind of to talk about visa reform and how that worked, because presently there's there's a deficit basically in in labor that we need to fill, hmm. and it's not just high. Skilled labor, but also uh, kind of farming uh, community. Yuma has a big uh, lack uh, just in visa reform, and I think that's a quick, easy fix. But then beyond that, I think we have to look at the, um, in my mind, in instant path to citizenship, if not legalization of of DACA recipients or anyone that would qualify under DACA. Instant Um, path
1: of citizenship.
0: And, and what I mean by that mm-hmm. is is a process that's going to take um, a year to three years or less. Because uh, right now it's very difficult to get used Yeah, the conversations yeah. right now, and, and we had heard it was going to be five to ten years, and we thought that was long. That's uh,
1: the wrong word for it, instant path to systems that makes you think you can get it through a drive-thru or something like
0: that you know yeah so so we want it we want it fast (laughs) right I think what they're (laughs) which is three years yeah what they're saying right now is is 10 to 15 years I think was the last conversation just oh wow yeah so that means if. why does it
1: take so long that I mean like that's insane.
0: Yeah, because I, cause I think some some folks are proposing in the meantime in that gray area because DACA recipients will have their DACA expire. They, they get a green card or something like that because there's also that, that gray area of what if they don't get anything and your DACA expires and then you just wait 15 years. Um, and, and just the safety issue because I think one of the biggest things we're talking about is, is not separating families. A- and typically we're talking about deportation of parents, which we saw a lot of after... Uh, number 45 got elected Um, but uh, now we're seeing it on on the younger side where we're seeing students uh, be deported so I I happen to know a lot of DACA recipients that are counting down the days um, because they have less than 200 days basically to be to be authorized to be in this country Um, yeah and when you look at it and and that's a good tie back to Arizona that means there's more than 20,000 20, people in the state that are on DACA, that are working, that are paying taxes, that don't get any benefit from taxes. That's a myth because they don't have a Social Security. And and that economy input is, is going to be lost immediately because uh, either they can't work legally, so that'll drop very, very fast to folks working under the table, or or there's mass deportations, which I think is what Trump's calling for. Mm. Um, so
1: those are two, those are two pretty big fallouts from... Yeah, because you're essentially uh, losing 20,000 workers. Yeah. yeah, right. What is it like for a DACA recipient living under President Trump with all the back and forth and all that stuff?
0: Yeah, I, I think um, I think uncertainty is the biggest biggest problem here nationally. But I, I think Arizona we had a we had a deeper level because I think most folks involved in any kind of like grassroots movement and even those not involved uh, saw 1070, saw Sheriff Arpaio, saw all of this, and and I think on election day, there was celebrations in the park about Arpaio leaving uh, around, I think. And I and I love looking at, again, structure of how things work. Between like 9 to 11, there was parties in the park about Arpaio being gone, which is great. But then around midnight to 2 a.m., we're seeing sobbing everywhere. Maybe at that park. I, I wasn't at the park at that time, but I was already at the bar. Um, <laughs> but, but then we were seeing people sobbing about... Um, Kind of uh, what happened with the election and, and him getting elected Be- because I think people realized, okay, great, our is 's gone we don 't have a constant fear of the sheriff 's department, but now our our support from the federal government that we always looked for uh, in terms of the Justice Department because Obama did um, a lot of deportations was gone because now now Trump is looking at a national strategy, so I, I remember I think it was in January. Uh, late January, maybe February, uh, we saw 170 or, or 120, somewhere around there, uh, deportations happen overnight in Los Angeles. So that's a massive immigration sweep that L.A. had not seen since the 70s and 80s. So it's, it's not just an Arizona thing, and that, that's what brings it back to let Arizona lead because, and much more let dreamers lead within the movement because it hasn't, it, the, no state has gone through what Arizona has gone through since 2006. So we kind of have the model for how do you deal with it? How because now sheriff Arpaio's gone, but then how do you reform the the uh, sheriff's office? For example, uh, it's a much harder thing to do when you don't have a target. So
1: are members of the movement, as you say, using Arizona as a model l- like that?
0: Or? Yeah, I, I think so, and and I think one of my my big things that we were talking about earlier is just how I I always have one foot in in the movement, one foot in like the electoral right. kind of organizing angle of it. Because to give an example, in 2016, Arizona had, in my mind, for the first time ever, a, a truly coordinated system. So everyone from Hillary Clinton to legislative candidate uh, was being worked on in terms of the the Democrats, for example. They were all they were all working together, kind of thing. Um, that was in a, terms of immigration or in general. No, just in in terms of elections and okay. and and that stuff. While the uh, Boston Pio movement and all of this anti-Trump movement is happening, kind of hand in hand. And it was great to see that. There was a lot of uh, room to improve there, but I think every state saw that. So uh, contrary, but no, parallel to that, not contrary to that, um, is the One Arizona Table, which is uh, the, the coalition of Arizona organizations that work on, on immigration, and they've been really pushing it. But what unites the table is voting work. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier, I come from ASA, the Arizona Student Association. So it's one of the partners on the table. The other partners are Mi Familia Vota, Puente, Lucha, etc. And that's the, the one Arizona table. So, if, if, so it's
1: like a coalition of Yeah. So if you're groups. looking
0: to affect political change, either in immigration and voting or on the left in general, um Arizona, I think is the biggest target for twenty eighteen the most important state. It was definitely in the top three or four states in and in, in uh twenty sixteen so so you can decide to donate to a party structure or to the coalition structure, but either way, it's going out there to talk to voters about um what this president's doing and and mobilizing against him because i think uh unfortunately, we saw our bio um get pardoned um so as soon as that happened, i think some of us that that knew a little bit more about the way he works, we knew he could probably run for Senate and now he's running for Senate. And, and the irony is that if a lot of people are looking at McCain's health and if McCain retires or or leaves the the seat Mm. um, and there's an empty seat, who appoints it? Governor Ducey. And there, there is a, Okay, an intense scenario where Ducey might appoint himself as well. Um, so, and that's legal. So, so you could have all kinds of weird things happening, but again, we'll have two of the only Senate seats up. So, right. So that's more kind of movement happening in Arizona. You,
1: you've talked about kind of the activist side that you have and you were at a protest recently,
0: right? Yeah. A few.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you got arrested. Um, mm-hmm. What were the circumstances of that?
0: Yeah, so uh recently got arrested in uh, December. Uh which when... is a,
1: by the way, is a, which is a really risky thing to do if you are running for office or in office even.
0: Yeah, I think I think people that are, are sitting in office now, not candidates in the state that have ever done it, is it's probably less than five or you know. And that includes like the usual suspects, Alfredo Gutierrez, um who's now Maricopa County uh uh supervisor um uh, for the uh, community colleges mm. and uh grijalva who's the congressman down in tucson just specific people um that are willing to do that or that are quote unquote safe enough or, or are driven enough to do that yeah because i i think the biggest thing is, is that you should be willing to stand by your convictions and i, and I was talking to folks earlier about this that it, it extends beyond um even daca but just to your core of, of who you are and, and do you see nonviolent action and and arrest as as part of the movement and a part of something that's important um so yeah so we we decided to push the envelope at at both senator flakes and mccain's offices as well as congressmen and women that were kind of behind and, and not taking a good position on the dream act uh democrat and republican and on that day um we decided to to target senator mccain uh because he's very influential in the senate um and just we wanted to make sure that our, our voices were heard And that day there was an action across the U.S. Uh, But the difference was here in Arizona and in some states they did this. But here in Arizona, um, they asked specifically for allies that were willing to get arrested because we realized, yes, we want to put. Well, who is they? um, Dreamers. Because always like we want to let dreamers lead it because it is the dreamer movement. And they can obviously do actions and, and lead in that. But there is a bigger fear of a dreamer getting arrested, especially in Arizona, especially at uh, Fourth Avenue Jail here in Phoenix, where you're immediately going to be asked about um, status and and you might face deportation if you're not careful. So there was an added risk that I think you wouldn't see in other states or certain other states. So they asked for only allies. And so about seven of us, I believe, um, showed up. And I think something that was forgotten that I think will be important later, as history will tell, um, was that it was the first time it was... um, Mostly candidates, if, if not all candidates. And then I think I was the only sitting elected. But the reason that's important, I think, is also how it ties to the anti conservatism of the U.S. and just progressives um, just taking a louder stance, especially after um, the recent presidential election. Because, because I think that's never been done. But our purpose there was as allies that are citizens. Because our message to McCain was we're constituents, we vote, and um, uh, we don't like your position on this. Um, so so we went in there, we, we took hundreds of people with us, and just uh, one of our chants was no dream, no deal. And that was kind of the, the biggest message of, of the day. Um, so we sat in there, and, and most uh representatives and senators will use a private building so that they can get us on some weird trespassing rules and and i think a lot of people don't realize there's so much training and planning that goes into it so uh talking with lawyers we we were walking through what's the floor plan many of us have been there before what's the strategy what's the time so, yeah so we sat there and i think to give you an example one of the interesting things is is we knew that there was a possibility of being charged with a federal crime mm. which would be a felony and then i instantly lose my elected position right so there there's a very interesting way to do it and a specific way to do it if we were within his office so so we were outside of his office blocking and and we did get charged with a class 3 misdemeanor was um,
1: it trespassing what was the actual misdemeanor it, it was trespassing was it? Okay. yeah
0: yeah and i think um there was a few different things that happened afterwards uh, but i'll get to that but basically um yeah we were blocking there and then to give to give example of, of how big it got, I think, and we were very confused by it. We knew maybe ten officers were maybe going to come and arrest us. There was seven of us, maybe fourteen, two per person. But I think at the end we counted, it was it was around fifty, sixty officers. Oh wow! And and mind you, all of the protesters were chanting outside. Wow! About a hundred feet away. So so all of those are inside the building for us. And then at at a certain point, we wanted to escalate faster. But if you touch a police officer, that counts as assault. Um, And these are these are all new things that people in Arizona should know um, that I would not have known in L.A. Um, So basically we, we started marching through the halls of the building. And our people uh we we showed them like hand signals they had to block every entrance. um we knew there was a basement entrance uh, we wanted them to go there as well, just because they were going to try to sneak us out because it's bad p r for the phoenix police department and especially for Senator McCain, but mostly uh phoenix p d they didn't have to arrest us but but again, that was part of the tactic so so we could bring awareness to the issue for folks that aren't kind of in in it every day. So even going to the bathroom, we're being escorted, et cetera, because they wanted to make sure we weren't doing anything. But at the point, we had not been arrested yet. Um, and then we saw the chief of police, um, uh, Jerry Williams, uh, come in. And, and it's interesting because oh. some of us have worked with her. Um, I've worked with her on uh, uh, just police reform within school districts. Um, so it's interesting to like see someone you see at the gala, you know, or something. But obviously she was not happy with what we were doing. Well, even still, the police chief doesn't usually come out for that sort of stuff. You yeah, know? and that, and that's when we saw that we kind of you know won the day, to give an example of of how much Arizona like knows this. Uh, we all know. I wouldn't say we're friends, but we all know by first name the the police and uh, the protest police, we call them or or the red squad. So we we know who they are. Kind of the undercover. They're in charge of protests. They know they know what we do. Um, all of that. And contrary to popular belief, you don't need a permit. Legally, you need a permit, but, but you, you're not going to get arrested if you don't have a permit. Yeah, so, so afterwards, um, at that point, they, they warned us about getting arrested. Uh, they have to give two warnings. And uh, later in, in D.C., we realized, because um, some people didn't agree with me, but in D.C., we realized that the, the capital has different rules because they basically make up the rules, so they can, re- they can uh, make any area restricted. So as soon as that happens, anyone in the area can be arrested without a second warning. Really? So we had that happen a couple of weeks later and we all, those of us that were not ready to get arrested uh, left immediately. Wow. Um, so then at that point we, we were getting arrested um, and then we were taken down the elevator again. They were trying to make sure we weren't on TV or anything. And they took us down to the basement and and put us in the yeah squad because cars. that
1: didn't get out to the news too much did yeah it? that
0: that specific part that uh, <sighs> was not I know there were people in the basement filming us but um but that specific part was not it's tricky because how I'm much also, coverage did you get um conservatively on social media about four hundred thousand views because we tracked it um but but on TV through different
1: organizations and that sort of stuff yeah and yeah. I think
0: we got more than a lot of what was happening in DC because what was covered in DC was was the collective movement, um, but what was covered that day were four or five protests around the nation, and, and ours was obviously very important because of Arizona, because of McCain, and and the nature of who got arrested, because I think it was five or six um, white allies. I think, and I was, they
1: were all political candidates, like you said, running yeah, for something. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I was the only Latino, and there was one other gentleman who was the only black gentleman. Um, so yeah, so then we were taken into um, processing, uh, which was North uh, North Phoenix. Um, police uh department kind of mm-hmm. precinct and and we thought we were either going to be cited and re- and released which is the best that can happen in dc they'll do that in within four hours so that so again there's always a process and obviously everyone's seeing it in t on tv we want them to be moved for a specific part but for example for myself like my family i i don't tell my mom anymore because she always <laughs> says no <laughs> but um but for her to see it on tv you know i i think i I I basically told my my best friend who's a dreamer. I, I told her you know call my mom as soon as I, I get arrested, uh, and they forgot for like an hour. So my mom saw it on the news before oh. before she got notified. Not the best way, yeah. And and then family in other countries, even in Mexico, um, they saw it and 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 they see it from like a different perspective. But to me, it's just like you went to work that day. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. So we're we're in the processing kind of holding cell, and and basically those are. Three by five feet, very, very small for two of us, just kind of concrete, hanging out there for a couple hours. And I, and I think that's where the conviction comes of, but also with the level of privilege, because we're all citizens um, of, of you have a fear of, of the, the system, but, you know, you're there for a just cause. And even when we were were getting arrested, I I don't think Phoenix PD would admit this, but half of them probably, uh, because we exchanged notes later, um, told us, you know, we we believe in what you're doing, but this is just our job. Really? And and that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, especially when just as a Latino in Arizona, you're you're so often seeing Phoenix PD, for example, in a different light,
1: in a negative um, light, usually yes. Yeah,
0: and and even in Tempe, being elected and having Tempe PD, uh, they protect our schools. Whenever there's a threat, they show up to the schools. So I, I've seen them in that light. But if something, you know, if a neighbor is threatening me or something, um, and someone asks me why didn't you call the police, and and the first thing I'll say is I'm I'm young, I'm brown, and I'm elected. <laughs> I, I, that's bad on many counts. I'm not going to call the police to my house, and even the place I I recently moved to. I asked, "Do you have security? How does this work?" Because because sometimes we'll get threats online from just Nazi folks, but also because calling the police is not a normal thing to do if you're a black or brown person, which is unfortunate, but but true, and it. Again, like when I can you know, speed dial the police chief, it, but the, the rank and file police members have no idea you know, who is elected or who's who or who's what. I remember I was in the car once with another um, uh, black elected official and Phoenix PD pulled in front of us and we gave each other the look. And without saying anything, it, it's still like an inherent fear.
1: Okay, so we're looking at a serious deadline that President Trump has set for Congress to come up for a solution to DACA.
0: Yes, and I, and I think the, the good thing about that is that everyone's kind of focused on a compromise. I, I've heard that from, from the right, the far right, to the, to the progressive caucus uh, within Congress. Um, everyone- but do you
1: truly believe that, though?
0: I think they believe it. I don't think they believe it's possible, or or that everyone, you know, it's kind of what what happens with a compromise is everyone's unhappy with what they got. I think our big thing we've been pushing for, and the the tactic and the strategy behind it is we're asking for a Clean Dream Act. That means what that means is is no money to a border wall, no no money to increased ICE or, or militarization of the border, uh, and that's very important to us, and, and no kind of. Deal, Because I I think some of the early conversations were you can gain citizenship if you turn in your parents or things like that, you know, that are just so outlandish. And most people don't realize that. I believe Bush started it, Obama finished improvements on the wall. So everywhere that there should be a wall, there is already kind of something. But then, because then you run into weird issues like private land in Texas, Tahona Odom here in Arizona, etc. Their their tribal land uh, basically goes into Mexico. But I think a, a lot of that will be will be weeded out but um but I think the democrats uh heard us they're they're fighting for a clean dream act I just I don't want them to cave and I and I say that as a democrat elected official because because I think we can't cave we can't we can't give this win to the republicans but we need to win it so that's that's where it's like a, a real big issue because I know the republicans will try to make it a a 15 year path to citizenship or or money to the wall and and the issue is is that dreamers, and, and we've talked about this with, with DACA recipients and, and even Latinos in a, in a broader way, and, and I've seen this with Black Lives Matter, is, is just because it's an, a minority does not mean it's monolithic. That means when we were in D.C. getting arrested, there was other documented folks lobbying Republicans for a compromise. Because that doesn't mean just because you're a whole community group, you all agree. Um, so some folks might settle for a deal. And, and and be tokenized and and you know get citizenship or whatever um to the cost of other folks and and i think that's a fear within the movement that that splits the movement but but i think that that's that's where we're headed to to some kind of compromise uh, what that looks like we we're not sure yet because what we do fear is that if they kick kind of the football field down the field more we'll get into 2018 primary and no one's going to talk about it Hmm. until uh, maybe 2019 but then you have a presidential because everyone wants immigration reform but again no one defines it and especially no one defines it during elections that would explain some of the
1: urgency about taking care of this issue right now right
0: exactly yeah yeah. and and that's why we asked for it in December and they kicked it to January and now and now we're approaching March February and uh, and it's still there it still has to be solved and and if you look at the broader scope it's it's been 17 years uh, i think we we mentioned um it started in 2001 and and this has been a long and winding conversation through democrat and republican presidents it's it's not a partisan issue because it's never been um, solved by either party, or, you know, they, they both think they're solving it, but no, no one has really moved on it. Uh, when the Democrats controlled the, the House and Senate and the presidency, and the same with Republicans when they controlled all of that. Both of them could have done something, and neither of them did anything. And I think that says something to just our political system, but also the administration of, of they haven't really done anything. <laughs> I know we were even looking at like the, the tax returns everyone's going to be so happy about. It's not going to be the same next year, but it's, but it's a little... It's a little something. Um, so hopefully we don't get too distracted and we stay focused. I think mean, the biggest thing is to not let politics distract us. Because right? sometimes people treat it like a big show. But I think that's the biggest thing and, and actions in D.C. will continue. I know earlier today someone reached out because there there's going to be a massive march, basically, a, a walk, kind of the way Cesar Chavez did to uh, Sacramento in California, uh, from New York to um, D.C. Uh, in the next few weeks so yeah so if anything i might be running over there next weekend um so yeah
1: this has been an ongoing thing for a while now yeah i mean i just in terms of like being there making a presence in washington dc yeah and that's
0: and that's the role of an organizer i think is is to keep pushing the envelope to raise the conversation i know we, we went into the capitol museum and and security asked us are you here to protest Profiling. <laughs> I wasn't wearing a sign that said I'm here, to <laughs> and and of course I said no, and then we we protested thirty minutes later. But but that's a good example of of later that day they told their boss and they told their boss and, and you know and and it was happening everywhere. So one of our early targets was um, Chuck Schumer, because he he's one of the leaders of the Democrats and he can say hey. Let's all get on the same page. And mm-hmm. then all we have to do is convince a few Republicans, half a dozen. And it took a while to get that. So, so now we're focused on some Republicans. And I think we have a lot of hopes with Flake here, because uh, I think in my personal private opinion, he's, he's looking at a, at a presidential possibility. And, um, and I think McCain is, is looking at how he's going to be remembered. And, and he's willing to compromise even more so than a lot of the, the far-right Republicans. And he's always been known as, as kind of a maverick. So, so what are both of them kind of going to do? So that's, again, the spotlight on Arizona is is very bright right now on what's going to happen in the nation.
1: So much going on and so much yet to be told. Yeah. So thanks for being on the show, Patrick. It's been really great. Thank you. Yeah.
2: And my mama kind of held it down for lot of us. And I was proud of who I was, cause that's what my mom and pops taught us. Soy poquito, gringo, man, I'm good people.
1: Thanks for listening to the second installment of our series exploring the DACA issue. And as you may know, Donald Trump has set a March 5th deadline for the Congress to come up with a bill to address the DACA policy. And that date is quickly approaching, which brings us to the third and final guest in our series on immigration. We will have local immigration lawyer Juliana Manzanares on the show. Juliana is the daughter of Mexican immigrants, and she'll fill us in on what could happen after that March 5th deadline so stay tuned. If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at onthegridphx@gmail.com. at gmail.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. Oh, and we always play out each episode with a song from a local band, and Patrick recommended an awesome song called Arizona I Love You But. It's from a local artist named Merlin. And thank you guys so much for listening to our 21st episode of On The Grid. Mm.
2: Yeah. Monday morning, sun, pushing on my back, Phoenix hot, pizza making fat, that's a fact, off the work, man, you know the deal, Payment hot enough, you could cook a good meal on top of the sidewalk, where the men talk, they talk, and the fiends go score, they rock, with massive battles and fire. Lessons I taught with the rock and a gunshot The cast don't stop Kids who can barely read tagraphy graffiti on, they block like, yo, that's me Looking at the future like a body in a casket of broken dreams I show my love with poetry And my students speak like they got bullets stuck in their teeth Holding pens like latch keys I tell the class, strike the pen on the pad like a match Please watch the light in their eyes, keeps hatching I love you, I love keeps you yeah. But you're bringing me down Hey, I love you I love you, but you're bringing me down. Hey! Arizona, I love you. I love you. But you keep bringing me down. Arizona, I love you. Arizona, I love you. This verse for the victim is at SB 1070 the ban on ethnic studies yeah i can't stand how they complain about identity theft now they want to ban ethnic studies in the same breath Listen, little man, this is how they call you a crook. First flip through that history book. Funny how so few faces belong to black, brown, Latinos, and Asians. Reflections, mugshots shots on the evening news. Demonize people of color, create fear. Remove the truth. This is how they book you. Yeah. They write laws in the books. Make money for the prisons. Write more laws in the books. Raid your house and your mom gets took. Your book out the back window. Buddy caught you by the backpack, so you threw a left hook. Now you in a cell. Reading all kinds of books I love you, I love you But you're bringing me down Hey I love you, I love you But you're bringing me down Hey Arizona, I hate you I love you Cause you keep bringing me down Arizona, I love you Arizona, I hate you Arizona, I love you At a church in the Barrio, everyone holds hands in Rosadios. They say prayers for the people who were taken away in bright daylight. Babies cry for mothers, it ain't right. How they make scapegoats from the hard-working folk. Man, it ain't no joke. I know a ton of kids who were born across the line. Been living in the state since the age of five. I it's it's cold in the eyes. Study time, watch how they grow and they shine through high school. Their parents pay rent cleaning hotel rooms. Kids named Erica Dulce Cynthia Lupe, trying to go to college, but they're turned away because they can't pay. And the lawman says, no financial aid. I love you, I love you, but you're bringing me you down. Hey, I love you, I love you, but you're bringing me you down. And the people say, I love you. Law, man, I've been here since first grade. And I pay every day with my pain. And I pay every day with my pain. Since the first grade, and the second grade, and the third grade, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth grade, and the seventh grade, and the eighth grade, and the ninth grade, and the tenth grade, and the eleventh grade. Man, I graduated in this state. And I pay every day with my pay. Come on. And I pay every day with my pay. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey. Now say, say pass the dream man, Come on. Pass the dream man Say pass the man.